if you have your Bibles, go to John chapter 5 with me. John chapter number 5. And we'll pick it up in verse number 28. And we'll read verse 28 and 29 together. This will be our text verse. Uh, We'll come back to this later in the lesson. Uh, But we're going to be using our Bibles today. Amen. Amen. What a novel thought that is to come to church and actually use our Bibles. That's great. Amen. John 5, 28. Jesus is speaking here. Marvel not at this. For the hour is coming in which all that are in the graves shall hear his voice. And shall come forth, they that have done good, under the resurrection of life, and they that have done evil, under the resurrection of damnation. I'm going to pose a question to you, if you are here this morning, and you're sort of new to the Bible, and you're religious perhaps, and, but you're here this morning, and say, Pastor, if I died, I'm not sure that I would, I would go to heaven. And so this first question is for you, what resurrection Will you be a part of? Or what will be your resurrection? The second, I guess, is how to really appreciate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's really what I wanted all the believers here today to really think about, to appreciate it more. I think sometimes you just come and go through the motions, Easter Sunday, talk about the resurrection, have a couple Easter songs, and I'm using the word Easter lightly there. And, and then we go home, and we have our dinners, and we have our Easter egg hunts and all that jazz. And we miss the significance of what this day is. And I want us to deepen our appreciation for it this morning. And so by the help of the Holy Spirit, I'm not done a study like this, and I, I'm asking God to really help and open our minds to what God has for us this morning. Let's pray. Our Father, we love you. We thank you for the opportunity to come and celebrate the resurrection of our Savior. But Lord, to be honest, it's very difficult for us to celebrate something we don't fully understand. It is a mystery. And I pray you'd help us this morning as we have hope in Christ, as we are looking forward to seeing you face to face. But I do pray for a deeper appreciation for the resurrection. And Lord, for those that are here this morning that do not know where they're going to go when they die, that they would ask that question, what will their resurrection be? I pray you'd help us to look at the scripture today. Help us not to be lazy with the word of God. Help us be attentive in our minds and our hearts. I know many of us can be so easily distracted from different cares of this life. But I pray that, Lord, you would rebuke the enemy, Satan, that he not be able to take the word of God out of the hearts of people today. That you would be glorified, that we would listen carefully to what you would have for us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. But Matthew chapter 28 is one of the places in the Bible that we go to to see the account of the resurrection, the actual what happened. And we, of course, this is the first day of the week, which is Sunday, and we're meeting on this day for a purpose. The New Testament church met on Sunday, the first day of the week, and every, every, since then, 2,000 years of church history, we have been meeting on this particular day of the week. I went to Israel. I've been to Israel over a dozen times. And every time we uh, sort of either finish close to or the day or two before we leave to come back, we go to the garden tomb. And my first couple of times at the garden tomb, the first one was very overwhelmed with looking at the empty tomb. And then my mind gets so critical. Uh, and I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm very, I don't believe everything that people tell me. And so I start, well, how do they know that that's the, the garden tomb? They hit, the London Historical Society presented to me, I think on the third or fourth time there, one of the most comprehensive cases that I've ever heard on that being the very garden tomb that the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I walked into that, that time and said, wow, this, this is profoundly interesting to see this very place where I'm at, where I'm standing, as Jonathan already prayed, not one hair, not one evidence at all that the Savior was there. He is resurrected. It is an empty tomb. Been there several times, saw it, and I've come out, and no one's there yet. And, uh, and so praise the Lord for his resurrection. But the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the most, I think, arguably the most remarkable event in human history. 
You, you mean you can't get more remarkable because it's supernatural and it goes beyond just what happened 2,000 years ago. We're still celebrating it today and we're going to continue to celebrate it until we even get into his presence and continue throughout eternity celebrating the resurrection. But if you have your Bibles, Matthew 28, verse 1, here's the account, verse 1. In the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to see the sepulcher. And behold, there was, two, there was a great earthquake, and for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. His countenance was like lightning and his raiment white as snow. And for fear of him, the keepers did shake and became as dead men. And the angel answered and said unto the woman, Fear not ye, for I know that ye seek Jesus, which was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen, as he said. Come and see the place where the Lord lay. And go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And behold, he goeth before you into Galilee. There shall ye see him. Lo, I have told you. And they departed quickly from the sepulcher with fear and great joy and did run to bring his disciples word. And as they went to tell his disciples, behold, Jesus met them saying, all hail. And they came and held him by the feet and worshiped him. Then said Jesus unto them, be not afraid. Go tell my brethren that they go into Galilee and there shall they see me. Powerful, powerful reference to the resurrection. Now, ladies and gentlemen, we are celebrating this today. Uh, and, and I want to say this, and please listen to the whole statement before you maybe criticize this. And I don't know if you ever would criticize the statement here. But we celebrate the resurrection not just because Jesus rose again from the grave, but that he has given us the same power to come out of that grave. And so, though we, it's it's, it's two parts. I mean, we are celebrating the resurrected Savior, but we're thankful that we also are going to have that same power to come out of the grave. That's why the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2 that he raised us up together. You'll find several references of being resurrected in Christ. And so before, I don't want to go, go through this a little bit. Christ displayed incredible power over our arch enemy, death. And he is, uh, and then of course, uh, I want to appreciate that. I want to show gratitude toward that. And I think uh, to do that, I need to look at what this is. What is resurrection? What is the resurrection? And I think before we can even answer the question on how to appreciate the resurrection more deeply, we need to sort of look at what the scripture says about resurrection. And to do that, we need to go back in the Old Testament. I think sometimes we do this. Oh, Resurrection Sunday. It's once a year. It's a New Testament thing. Let's do it. Easter bunnies and Easter egg hunts and all that jazz. But if we go back into the Bible and look at the historical account of what men and women in the Bible saw as a resurrection of the dead, and we come, come, come through that and see what the Lord Jesus Christ said in John chapter 5, I think it'll help you a little bit. Go back to the book of Job with me. Job, if it's in your Bible, it looks like Job, but it's Job, G-J-O-B, and uh, you'll find it there in the Old Testament. And while you're turning there, it is the oldest book in the Bible. We think that Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, which is the first five books of the Bible, are the oldest books. They're called the Pentateuch, that is the book of the law, written by Moses under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. But they're not the oldest books in the Bible. The oldest book in the Bible predates the law, and that's the book of Job. Some say it even predates the flood, which would be 4,000 years ago. So the oldest book in the Bible, you'll find Job chapter 19, if you turn there quickly. I want you to see what Job said in this book. I don't have time to exegete everything about this book right here, but here's what Job said in this old book. Verse number 25. Here's what he says. For I know that my Redeemer liveth, and that he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. And though my skin worms destroy this body. You know what Job's referencing? He's referencing the destruction of his flesh. He says, my, my body's going to be eaten up with worms. Now here's what he said. Again, this is one of the earliest references, direct references to a resurrection. He says, yet in my flesh shall I see God. God. 
So here, so here's Job referencing a belief that there's going to be a resurrection. My flesh is going to say, I mean, after I'm already dead, after my worms and destroyed this body, I'm going to see God. Interesting, isn't it? Look, if you would, back to Genesis chapter 25. Let's go back to Abraham and see what Abraham thought about this resurrection. Abraham, uh, in Genesis chapter 25, it's referenced here of his age. <laughs> Genesis 25, pick it up in verse number 7. Genesis 25, 7. Are you all there? Yep. All right, here it says, verse 7. And these are the days of the years of what? Abraham's life, which he lived. Look at this, 103 score and 15 years. So we have 175-year-old Abraham. And then it says he gives up the ghost. So he's 175 years old. He dies. And verse number 8 says, And Abraham gave up the ghost and died in a good old age. Wow, that is a good old age. 175, okay? That's a long time to be alive. Now, we don't find out what he was doing in those 175 years, at least what he was looking for, until we get to the New Testament and we read the book of Hebrews. And the book of Hebrews, when you run into chapter 11, we find Abraham mentioned there. And Abraham is referencing what he did in the 175 years that he lived on this earth, 2,000 years before, that, uh, before, uh, before Christ. Look in verse number, uh, I'll read it for time's sake, Hebrews chapter 11, verse number 10. He says, he, Abraham, looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker was God. So Abraham, at 175 years, he kept looking for a different city. He looked for a city that had different foundations. The foundations that he looked for had, had, had foundations were built by God. Now, for 175 years in the physical life, he didn't get that, but he was looking for it. In fact, in Hebrews 11, it also references him and others that they desired a country, a better country, a country that is heavenly. <laughs> and wherefore, uh, God is not ashamed to be called their God. He hath prepared for them a city. So, 175 years. Again, Abraham's older and older and older. And he's still looking and looking and looking for a city that is spiritual. It's a heavenly city. The foundations of this particular city are built by God. Now, now again, he didn't get that when he was in this life. So, can I say this? As a general reference, not only did Job... The oldest book in the Bible, look for a resurrection. Abraham, the father of the Jewish nation, also looked for a resurrection. He knew there was a city coming. There was a city that he's going to be dwelling in. He's looking for that city. He's enjoying that city before he even saw the city. Are you all here? Look, if you would, in the book of Psalms, uh, Psalms chapter 16. You're all doing good this morning. Psalm chapter 16. And while you're turning there, I want you to say it's pretty clear here uh, that according to Hebrews 11 and verse 19, here's what, uh, talking about Abraham, I'll be very specific here, accounting that God was able to raise him up. So watch this. So for 175 years, Abraham lived and he knew one day God's going to raise me up. I'm going to come out of this thing. I'm going to see the city. I'm going to see the city whose builder and maker is God. I desire that city. I'm setting my eyes on that city. I, I'm, I'm, I'm confessing that I'm a stranger and pilgrim in this wor world. I'm, I'm not part of this world. I'm, I'm part of that world. So he did that for 175 years. Job did the same thing. He said, you know what? This whole body's going to be eaten by worms. But I'm going to see God one day. Now look, if you would, in David's account. David wrote the book of Psalm chapter 16. And it says here, David, very confident of his future, confident of where he's going to go. He said this, my flesh, David speaking here, Old Testament, shall rest in hope. My flesh also shall rest in hope. And I look in verse, uh, go over to chapter 17, if you would. Chapter 17 and verse number 15. David's already saying, I'm, I, I'm, you're going to bury me, <laughs> but my flesh is going to rest in hope. Psalm 17 and verse 15 says, I shall be satisfied, look at this, when I what? Awake. With thy what? Likeness. Wow. Now this is, this is Old Testament here. Okay, this is before the resurrection. We're, we're, we're 1,600 years before the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And they, David knew that I'm going to die, I'm going to awake out of this, and I'm going to be like him. 
I'm going to be, I'm going to be risen like in his likeness. So Job recognized the resurrection. Abraham recognized a resurrection. David recognized a resurrection. And you'll find here, uh, even, even into the book of John, if you go there quickly, the book of John chapter number 11, John chapter 11. Now I want you to really quickly stay with me on this point. John chapter 11, don't throw me under the bus right here. John chapter 11 is still in the Old Testament. Okay? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John did not begin the New Testament. The New Testament started at the death of the testator. Now we reference it as the New Testament. But when we're into John chapter number 11, we're dealing still with the Old Testament. Okay, so watch this. Job knew about the resurrection. Abraham knew about the resurrection. David knew about the resurrection. And it stands the reason others in that time knew about the resurrection. So when we get to John chapter 11, Lazarus was dead now for four days. Jesus says it is to glorify him, himself. He's going to walk into Bethany. First person he meets is a, a, a weeping woman by the name of Martha. You'll find here in verse 21. And, and then, then said Martha unto Jesus, Lord... If thou had been here, my brother had not died. But I know that even now whatsoever thou wilt ask of God, God will give it to thee. Jesus saith unto her, thy brother shall rise again. Now watch her response. Very interesting response. Again, Old Testament. The New Testament does not begin until the death of Jesus Christ. So this is still Old Testament transitioning us into the New Testament. Watch verse 25. Uh, verse 24, her question. Martha saith unto him, I know. That he shall rise again in the what? Resurrection at the what? Last day. Okay. So Martha says, I know that he's going to rise again at the resurrection at the last day. So watch this. Not only did Job, Abraham, David, Martha, all of them, Old Testament, look for a resurrection. Okay, so this is, well, it's, I'm trying to prove the point. This is just something, not New, New Testament doctrine. It's not something that came up within the last 2,000 years. We celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ, but all down through church history and all beyond that BC, back into the Old Testament, all the way back beyond the law, they look for a resurrection. So ladies and gentlemen, you're not going to be able to appreciate the resurrection of Jesus Christ and you're not going to really be able to appreciate the resurrection that's coming until we have a deeper understanding and a more historical understanding of the resurrection. Now here's where it gets interesting. I feel like we're going up this, uh, this roller coaster, okay? And it's getting a little bit laborious. Watch this. Click, 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 click. But you're going to just stay with me. We're going to crest this in just a little bit. Look in John chapter 5 to our text again. And I want you to note here, this may have, may be, and correct me if I'm wrong, guys, study this out. This may be the very first reference by the Lord Jesus Christ about the resurrection. Not necessarily Jesus' own personal resurrection, but the resurrection, okay? Now watch what it says in John chapter 5. And he's, you'll find verse 28. Marvel not at this. We already read it. For the Lord is coming in which all, listen to this word, all that are in the graves shall hear his voice. Okay, there's a comma there. It's not, the sentence is finished. It's going to go into the next verse. But before we go there, let me just kind of unpack something. Many people and some among even good church folks have been taught to believe that the resurrection is just one big general event. It's one big event that everyone just comes together it's, and it's over. And I think that's a very serious error. And if you believe that, you're robbing yourself of incredible joy and appreciation for the resurrection of the dead in Christ. Nowhere in the scripture does it taught that bodies of all men are raised at the same time. There are two different resurrections. How do I know that? Because the very next verse in the sentence of the Lord Jesus Christ's response. At, don't marvel at this. Marvel not at this. Don't wonder at this. He said all of those that are in the grave are going to hear my voice. What does that mean? Everyone that has ever been buried that is under the sod of this earth or been cremated, whatever. They're under the earth. They've been buried. They're dead. Their remains are somewhere in this world. Watch this. They're going to hear his voice. Then he clarifies what that's going to look like. In the very next verse, he says in verse 29. And shall come what? Forth. 
And they that have done good unto the resurrection of life. And they that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation. Now, we uh, are having a presentation of two different events. We have a resurrection of the just. Resurrect, okay, I'll, I'll use the Lord Jesus Christ word. The, resur- the resurrection of life. And the other one is the resurrection of damnation. Now, we, we, we focus on the resurrection of the life, especially on a day like today. Resurrection of the life. Resurrection of the just. But there is a contrast to this resurrection with what the Lord Jesus Christ said as a resurrection of damnation. I'll not ask you to turn there, but Luke 14, 14, Jesus is speaking here. I want you to listen to these words. And thou shalt be blessed, for they cannot recompense thee, for thou shalt be recompensed at the resurrection of the just. Whoa. Now the Lord Jesus Christ is giving us more insight to one of those two resurrections. He says there's going to be recompense at the resurrection of the just. So here we have a reference to this just resurrection. So there's two. We know that all shall come forth out of the grave. Jesus says, all the voices, all, my voice will be heard by all the graves. I'm paraphrasing. When I speak, all of the voices will be raised. All of the graves will be opened. But it's not necessarily at the same time. There's a resurrection of the just, and if there's a resurrection of the just, it stands the reason that there's a resurrection of the what? Unjust. I wonder if that's in the Bible somewhere. I'm glad you asked that question. Look, if you would, in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 24. I told you we're going to load you up this morning. How's that sound? All right. Acts chapter 24. Acts is referred to as the Acts of the Apostles. You got the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And then the book of Acts is right after that. That sort of gives you the history and the forming, if you would, and the movement of the missionary journeys, okay? When you get to chapter 24 of Acts, there's a conversation taking place between a man by the name of Felix and the Apostle Paul. And the Apostle Paul is reasoning with him on salvation. And here's what he says to Felix. Look at the verse in verse 15, Acts 24, 15. Watch what he says to him. And there shall be a what? Okay. A resurrection of the dead, both of the just and unjust. The last part of that verse. Y'all there? Okay. There we go. Thanks, Jamie. All right. Okay. He's saying, okay, we got two, we got two resurrections here. We've got the resurrection of the just and the resurrection of the what? Unjust, okay? The Lord Jesus Christ talked about the resurrection of the just. The Lord Jesus Christ talked about the resurrection of the life, resurrection of damnation. Are oh, y'all unpacking this a little bit with me this morning? I'm saying that Job looked for the resurrection. Abraham looked for the resurrection. David looked for the resurrection. Moses or Martha looked for the resurrection. But what, what, what resurrection were they looking for? And then we have Jesus presenting to us the concept of two resurrections. One being unjust. One being just, one being damnation, one being life. So, with that, how do I appreciate the resurrection? I mean, I want to have a deeper appreciation. I don't want to just go through and read the, the, uh, the resurrection story and go home. I want to have appreciation of what this is. How can I appreciate the resurrection that's coming? Look, if you would, in the last book of the Bible, Revelation chapter 20. Okay, we're nearing the top here. We're about to plunge. All right. Revelation chapter 20. And pick it up in verse number four. Oh boy. The book of Revelation. How about this book? Wow. Right up to date and where we're living. Look at verse four. Now John is writing this on the Isle of Patmos. He's been banished to this isle, this island, and he's writing this book. He's getting the revelation of Jesus Christ. We don't call it revelations because there's only one revelation. It's just a note there. It's a side note. Verse 4. And I saw thrones, and they that sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God, and which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. But the rest of the dead lived not again until the thousand years were finished. Now, the reference here in verse number 5, this is the first resurrection. So what happens is we have a reference to a first resurrection in verse number five. Wow. 
Now look at verse number six. Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the what? First resurrection. Now, if there's a first resurrection, it stands a reason that there's a second resurrection, right? So he says, blessed and holy are those that have what? Part of the first resurrection. Because on such, watch this, the second death hath no what? Power. All right, now, now I got, we got to at least study this, okay? We got to chase this rabbit here, okay? Now we have another whole concept given. We have a second death. Now, if you are part of the first resurrection, he says, you're blessed and you're holy. He said, when you have part of this resurrection, the second death will have no power over you. All right? So what is that? Well, if you would, look in Revelation chapter 21. One chapter over. Let's see what this is. How many are doing okay? All right. Revelation 21. Pick it up in verse number 8. All right. But the fearful, the unbelieving, the abominable, the murderers, the sorcerers. Rather, the murderers, the whoremongers, the sorcerers, the idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone. What is this? Okay, that is right in the Bible, which is the what? I hope you're seeing this. This is the word of God, all right? This is the second death. So the second death is a lake which burneth with fire and brimstone. So reverse here, you find here, blessed and holy are those that have part of the first resurrection. On such, the second death hath no what? Power. So if you're part of the first resurrection, you're not going to be part of the second death. How about that sound? But if you're part of what is logical... If you're part of the second resurrection, there is no promise of having power over the second death. It stands to reason that the second resurrection is for, as Jesus pointed out, is a resurrection of damnation. You are brought into damnation at the second resurrection. Are we all here so far? They say that a color chart, here's what I want to tell you. They say that a color chart, uh, is, is one of the most uh, incredible ways to be able to contrast different colors. In other words, if you have a color chart, you have the purple, blues, and reds, and all that all the way around. And if you go to the opposite color of any color chart, they say, I'm not a color guy, they say that, for example, purple cannot be more brilliantly displayed unless it's contrasted with its contrast, which is yellow. So, if I take purple and yellow put together, yellow doesn't look more beautiful unless it's next to purple, and purple doesn't look more beautiful unless it's... In other words, they're, they're more clear when they're put it together. Uh, well, orange. In South Jersey, we say orange. In Ohio, you say orange. Okay? But it's orange. Okay? If you, if you take orange, okay, and you put it next to green... Orange doesn't look any, it looks, looks perfect next to green. But it's, it, it doesn't have that brilliance until it's compared. You all with me today? I'm saying when you contrast and you put together two, if you would, extremes, you can appreciate one over the other. So in other words, you, you're not going to be able to really appreciate peace unless you understand at least in some way war. Okay, if I went to Ukraine right now and there was a peace treaty broker between Russia and Ukraine, and all of a sudden, things got better. Do you realize that people in Ukraine right now would appreciate peace a whole lot more than they did before? Yes. Are you with me? Why? Because they're contrasting that with war. You can't appreciate the quenching of a thirst without having a thirst. There's no better time to drink a glass of water until you're really thirsty, right? You can't appreciate light without darkness. You can't appreciate companionship without loneliness. You can't appreciate fullness without hunger. You can't appreciate life without death. You, you can't appreciate love without hate. You can't appreciate conservatives without liberals. <laughs> I, I didn't mean to say that. I, I got to <laughs> take that note out. Put that there. And how that got into the notes there. You, you can't appreciate wealth without uh, poverty. I'm just saying this morning, ladies and gentlemen... You're not able to appreciate the resurrection of the dead in Christ until you contrast it with the resurrection of the dead. 
There are two different resurrections. One is a resurrection of life. One is a resurrection of damnation. One is a resurrection of the ones that are under the blood of Jesus Christ. And one is a resurrection that are, that are not. And the Bible always, you'll find, gives contrast after contrast. The Proverbs are full of contrast. Two different, if you would, contrast. And he doesn't stop there. He says, let me give you the contrast between the two. I've never done this in my studies before. Let me give you the contrast between the two resurrections. Jesus did it. Daniel did it. John did it in Revelation. And so as I look at this, I can't appreciate this this day today until I appreciate what that other one is like. Daniel 2. Go there quickly. Daniel chapter 2. All right. Old Testament here. Daniel 2. Look in verse number 1. You'll find another reference to this. There's like seven of resurrection contrast that are given in the Bible. Daniel 2 verse 1. Catch up with me if you would. And at the time shall Daniel, Michael rather, stand up the great prince which standeth for the children of thy people. That would be Israel. And they shall be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation even at the same time. And at that time, thy people shall be delivered. Now, that's a direct reference to what we call, the Bible calls, the tribulation period. It's a time of Jacob's trouble. It's a seven-year period of time that will be ushering in the wrath of God on all nations, specifically Israel. Verse 2, and many of them that, listen to this, that sleep in the dust. Now, there's your reference to the grave. Don't get, don't, don't go out to lunch here. Stay with me. Watch this. Okay. He says, many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth shall what? Awake. Daniel 12, 2. Where do I, where do I have you? <laughs> Daniel 12. I apologize. I lost you. I knew it. We all fell off a cliff. I'm on, I'm on exit 45 and you're on exit 33. Okay. Here we go. Daniel 12. Now we're back. Okay. I'm trying to get too much in here. And many of them, look at the words here, that sleep in the what? Okay. There we go. Uh, and uh, shall awake some to everlasting what? Life and some to, uh, to shame and everlasting what? Contempt. Now watch this. There is a belief out there that teaches annihilationism. Meaning, you're just going to be annihilated. There'll be no memory of you. You will be annihilated. You will not have a soul. You will not have a spirit. You'll be annihilated. The Bible does not teach annihilationism. Jehovah Witnesses teach that. But the Bible does not present anywhere that there is annihilationism at all. Okay? Daniel says there's two resurrections. They're, they're gonna, there's those that are sleeping in the dust of the earth are going to raise, rise up. And there's going to be some that are going to be in the resurrection that is going to be referenced here. Uh, that is going to awake to everlasting life. And the other ones are going to be waking to everlasting shame and contempt. Now that's a paraphrase. Now, I looked at this word contempt. I said, wow, what is this? Now, again, I'm going to try to contrast this. I cannot appreciate the resurrection of the just, the resurrection of life, without understanding this right here. What is this? He says it's everlasting contempt. I looked up the 1828 definition of this word. It says here, it's the act of despising. So when someone is in contempt... They're being despised. The act of despising, the act of viewing or considering and treating as mean, vile and worthless. Disdain. Hatred of what is mean or deemed vile. So when someone is in contempt, they're looked at as vile. They're looked at as hated. They're looked at as worthless. And here's Noah Webster's comments on this word. Quote, the word is one of the strongest expressions of a mean opinion which the language affords. The English language does not have a stronger word than to describe the kind of person in this kind of eternal state of being basically looked at as a criminal, as a vile, hated person. And the Bible says in Daniel 2 that th there are going to be some that are going to come out of the dust of the earth 
And they're going to be in everlasting shame and contempt. So watch this. Watch this. Number one, when I look at the both of these, these resurrections, the eternal results are different. The eternal results are different. One is in shame, one is in everlasting contempt, and one is in life. One is eternal life. Look in Revelation chapter 20. I just want to point one more point out on this. Revelation 20. We're not going to get through all this lesson today. But let's try. Revelation 20. Pick it up in verse 11. Revelation 20 verse 11. And I saw a what? Okay, here we are. On the same page, you're all talking back to me. Good. That's good stuff. And I saw the great white throne judgment and him that sat on it. Now look at this phrase. From whose face the earth and the heaven fled away and there was found no place for them. So, we have a throne and we have a presentation of the attempt from those that are going to stand before this throne to try to find a way to flee, to run. And the Bible says very interestingly that the heavens, the Bible says the heaven fled away and the earth fled away and there was no hiding place. They had nowhere to go. They had nowhere to hide. They're standing before a holy God. They're standing before the judgment. Now look at this phrase. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. Now watch this. This is a resurrection. Okay, this is John the Revelator looking at what this resurrection looks like. The resurrection that he's looking at right now is the second resurrection. And there's dead people that are standing before God. And it says they're small and great. That means there's kings and there's peasants. There's wealthy and there's poor. All kinds of classes of people that are standing before a holy God. They cannot hide anywhere. They cannot go somewhere. There's no appeal at all. They're in a state, if you would, of being judged. And then the Bible says the books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which are written in the books. Plural. And then it goes on to say in verse number uh, and, and, and verse number um, 13. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it. And death and hell were delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged every man according to their works. Here is a gruesome sight. Here is a sight of eternal damnation. Now ladies and gentlemen. You and I cannot appreciate the resurrection of, of life. Okay. Unless we understand the resurrection of damnation. Their eternal states are completely different. These are going to judgment. They're all going to be cast into the lake of fire. Watch this. You realize this thought came to me. The Bible says at the last trump, the Bible says we're caught out. Amen? We're caught. I love that. Jesus is going to catch us out of here. Over here, they're cast into the lake of fire. Two different eternal, ju uh, eternal judgments. Uh, we're going to go to heaven. We're going to go to Christ. They're going to go to judgment. I'm, late, I'm, I'm saying, there, again, there's only two resurrections. Blessed is he that hath part of the first resurrection. On such, the second death hath no power. So number one, to understand the contrast, the eternal states are different. Number two, the memories are different. I thought about this. You know, we, we live in this world. We are creating relationships in this world. We have children. We have parents. We have grandparents. We have uncles. We have aunts. We have people that we love, associations, companionship. And to realize some of the people that we associate with, even our family members, are not in Christ. Okay? Uh, they are out there. They're not under the blood covenant. They're not blessed and not holy. And they're, they're not going to be... And the holiness is not, you know, our own self-righteousness. It's the blood of Jesus Christ that cleanses us from all unrighteousness. Watch this. And they're going to go into the second resurrection, which has no power at all over the second death. Now, when I look at this, I'm thinking, how could I enjoy heaven with a memory 
of all the people that I have loved so dearly that didn't get saved here on earth? Well, the Bible answers that question. I'm not going to ask you to turn there, but he tells us that he is going to wipe away all tears from our eyes. What does that mean? He's going to take one of the most condescending acts of God is coming and taking a tear and wiping it off our face, our eyes. No more sorrow, no more crying, no more death. Former things are passed away. You're not going to remember this life. You're not going to remember those relationships. Watch this. The memory's different after the first resurrection. Amen? It's changed. Not so with the second resurrection. There's a story. It's a troubling story. It's not a parable. It's an actual event that happened in Luke 16. In Luke chapter 16, I'll stay up here, guys. I I drive these poor guys, and I try to follow me with the camera. There's a rich man, and the Bible says he's in hell. Okay? And And he's lifting. The Bible says he lifted his eyes, and he's in torments, plural. Multiple torments in hell. And he's having a conversation with Abraham, which was in Abraham's bosom. And the rich man is asking Abraham to send Lazarus, who is a poor man, at the rich man's table while they were in lifetime. Right? Hey, can you send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame? That means this this man, this rich man, has a tongue. Okay? I'm going to come back to that in a little bit. And Abraham said, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest the good things. Likewise, Lazarus, evil. And now it's changed, right? My point is this. Watch this. Here is a wealthy man. He didn't go to hell because he's wealthy. He went to hell because he wasn't saved. He wasn't in Christ. He wasn't under a covenant with the Lord Jesus Christ. And so he's in hell, and Abraham's remember. Watch this. Do you realize in eternal damnation, it seems to indicate there's no way to forget. You will remember every time you've been witnessed to. You'll remember every time someone tried to share with you how to be saved. You'll remember every time from the thousands and thousands of years of burning in eternal torment, every time someone gave you a gospel track, you'll remember the very moment you walked away from Christ. You'll remember the times you were in invitations where the invitation was given at the altar call and you said no. You'll remember every single time. Ladies and gentlemen, the memories are different at the end of the first resurrection and comparing to the second resurrection, we forget what happened in the past. They'll never forget. That is a troubling, troubling fault. But it's true. The eternal results are different. The memories are different. One is alive. And one is dead. Now, I don't know about you, but when I look in John chapter 5, in verse 24, here's what Jesus says. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me, hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation but is passed from death to life. Watch this. When you get saved, when you accept Christ as your Savior, you pass from death to life. If you're not saved, you're still dead. All right? So the result of the second resurrection is those that are not in Christ are dead, although they're still in existence. But they're dead in existence. And those that are saved are in life. And wow. I looked up our. Uh, what we're going to look like. One of the most incredible chapters in the Bible. In the resurrection is 1 Corinthians 15. When he said you don't need to turn there. But I'm just going to share with you one word. Paul was trying to convince the people. The difference between the bodies. We have a body right now that's susceptible to all kinds of diseases. We found out COVID invades our bodies. Takes some of our loved ones. Heartaches, difficulties, anxieties, fears. Our bodies are a mess. But at the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the body has changed. The Bible tells us 2 Thessalonians, it's changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. 
And it happens at one moment, the last trump. So the trumpet sounds, and we which are alive are going to change. Amen? So if you're really in pain right now, you're not going to have pain anymore. Amen? You may even get some more hair back on your head. I don't know. You're going to have a, it's going to be a new body. You'll be, you'll be able to eat. Jesus says uh, after he was crucified, he says, come and dine. He was eating fish. Uh, if you can eat meat, you can eat steak. Hey, he didn't destroy Nineveh because much cattle. That's at the end. You read that? There's children there. He says, and much cattle, man. And steak, a good sirloin. Not sirloin, but a ribeye. Mm. Mm. I didn't even mention that at the 9 o'clock hour. When you get close to 12 o'clock, you start talking about food. You get to eat in the resurrected body. There's one word that really intrigued me in 1 Corinthians 15, and that is the word celestial. Now, I looked it up. What is celestial? It's a celestial body. It simply means a, a heavenly body. Okay? You're not bound by any laws of nature. You can fly. It seems to indicate there's brightness. Okay? Perfect knowledge. Watch this. I could not find anywhere in the scripture. Now, if you find it, please let me know. I could not find anything that described the bodies of the dead on the second resurrection. Can't find it. What I did, I looked up the antonyms for celestial. You know what I found? The antonym was the exact opposite of celestial. It's a horrible thought here. Is the word hellish. Hellish. Um, we know they have tongues. The rich man had a tongue. We know they have eyes because the rich man in, in, in Luke 15 saw Abraham. Okay, had eyes. He could hear because he could converse. So he had ears. It stands a reason that he had hands and he had feet. And he was able to comprehend and remember. But watch this. He is in the eternal state, but he's in a hellish body. Wow. Now, in addition to be under damnation of God for eternity and under the, uh, the, uh, the, the sentence of being in contempt for eternity, under the judgment of Almighty God for eternity, you are with others that are in hellish bodies. I cannot appreciate the resurrection of Jesus Christ and being in my celestial body with my brothers and sisters in Christ that have celestial bodies. Unless I contrast that with what I missed by being in this eternal damnation with hellish bodies that will never be celestial. Powerful. Powerful. My last question and we won't finish this study. Is what will your resurrection be? Uh, all right, Pastor. Okay, you, okay, I'm here. You know, I, I've been religious. I've been baptized. I'm a good person. All of which are good things. But all the filthy, the works that we do are filthy rags in the sight of God. Your church membership, your baptism, your good works, your community service does nothing to merit you to go to heaven. Doesn't get, it doesn't get you in. You don't get a, a pass with God. The only thing that gives you, if you would, life is Jesus Christ. He said this. I didn't say this. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Man comes up with all kinds of ways on how man wants to go to heaven. But there's only one way. It's Jesus' way. Not Mormon's way, your way, any other way. It's Jesus' way. He said, okay, pastor, I, I don't want that. I don't want that. I want, I want to have resurrection. The resurrection of life. You can have that through Jesus Christ. See, Pastor, I realize that I don't want to go to hell. I want to go to heaven. I want to be saved. If that's you this morning, the altar will be open. I want to share, I want to take a Bible and share with you how you can be saved. You've got to realize you're a sinner. 
You've got to realize because of sin, there's eternal damnation. Realize that Jesus loved you and died for your sin. And all you need to do is accept him as your Lord and Savior. That's it. It's that simple. But say, Pastor, I'm already in Christ. I'm saved. Watch this. Can we do this? Can we lean our appreciation into, well, I'm glad I'm in this first resurrection. Praise God for that. Jesus rose from that grave 2,000 years ago. He became the first fruits of them that slept. What does that mean? He's be- he began this first resurrection. The next one is the main harvest. And that happens when the trumpet sounds. And all the things that we see in this world, all the craziness in this world is an indication that that trumpet's going to sound. And when that trumpet sounds, our bodies are changed in a moment, in a twinkle of an eye. Leave this world, man. And I don't care if I'm eating a nice piece of steak. I'm... I'll leave it all behind. Don't go to the second resurrection. Because the Lord is not willing that any should perish. But that all come to repentance. He wants everyone saved. He wants everyone saved. With heads bowed and eyes closed this morning. Can I ask you this morning, say, Pastor, I, I, I appreciate the resurrection, the first resurrection. I have a deeper appreciation for the resurrection of Jesus Christ because of what he accomplished and what he gives us. And I want to thank God this morning that I'm in Christ. Would you slip your hand up and down? Is there anyone at all? Hands all over. God bless you. I think we ought to have a full altar today of just thanking the Lord. But perhaps you're here this morning and say, Pastor, if I died, I'm not sure that I'd go to heaven. I've been told about this. I just said no. I've, I've seen some things in my life. I've had some hypocrites try to tell me all that stuff. Every man, the Bible says, shall give an account of himself to God. You're not going to go to God and say, you know, I didn't like that Christian to try to witness to me. And God's not going to use that as an excuse for you to be in. You're either in or out. Say, Pastor, I, I want to be saved. I'm done trying to fight this. I want to be saved. Would you slip your hand up and down? Is there anyone here this morning? Just, I say, I want to be saved today. I want to accept Christ as my Lord and my Savior. Anyone at all? Anyone at all? Anyone at all? You'll remember this may be your last opportunity. You think about this. Are you fighting God? I'm done fighting God. I want to say yes. Yes.